The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and had nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry um, to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. The disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Immediately he got in the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmunatha, or whatever that's, however that's pronounced. (laughs) The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he went across to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them on the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, It is because we have no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Two weeks ago, I met one of my personal heroes for the first time. His name is Jamie Coates, and Jamie works as the director of the Friends of the Society of St. John the Evangelist, my favorite Episcopal monastery in Boston, where I used to go on retreat back when I lived there. I have followed Jamie's work at this point for years. In his role at the monastery, he's responsible for communication and development, and he's gone about it in a remarkably interesting and inspiring way. He has used digital social media in ingenious and groundbreaking ways to share the monk's wisdom, to spiritually enrich lives, to expand the community of people connected to the monastery, and to raise funds to help the monastery thrive. I admire his work so much that I interviewed him by phone a couple years ago for my book. And what he shared with me in just those 45 minutes was completely brilliant. I wish I could have just published the whole interview. But in the course of that conversation, Jamie told me this. He said, although I'm in charge of fundraising and communication, 
95% of my job is figuring out how to give away the brother's wisdom. How do we connect and give people wisdom that feeds them? If you understand you truly live in a gift economy and you're truly giving away God's gift for the sake of God's love, then it flows back to you. So two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to spend an entire day with Jamie down at Virginia Theological Seminary in Alexandria, and it was beyond awesome. And I asked him what anyone would ask of their heroes. I asked him, so what's your secret? (laughs) I asked him how he had arrived at this philosophy, this approach, this perspective on giving. And among other things, he told me that he had read a book many years ago that changed his life, a book called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. And so 10 minutes later, I ordered it on Amazon on my phone, and two days later, it arrived in my house, and a week later, I had read the book. And the core idea of this book, The Gift, is to distinguish between the market economy and the gift economy that Jamie was referring to in the interview. The market economy is what we live every day, where a price is named for a good or service, like buying groceries or hiring somebody to cut your lawn or buying stock. And a transaction ensues, and each of the two parties receives something of similar value. The gift economies, Hyde says, work differently. In a gift economy, gifts are given with no expectation of return. These free gifts are received with great gratitude and therefore simply cannot help but be shared and passed on. And so the gift binds people together in community, builds bonds of affections, and and the gift only seems to increase in value the more that it is shared. Hyde writes, When a gift passes from hand to hand in this spirit, it becomes the binder of many wills. What gathers in it is not only the sentiment of generosity, but the affirmation of individual goodwill, making of those separate parts a unanimous heart, a band whose wills are focused through the lens of the gift. Thus the gift becomes an agent of social cohesion, and this again leads to the feeling that its passage increases its worth. For in social life, at least, the whole really is greater than the sum of its parts. If it brings the group together, the gift increases in worth immediately upon its first circulation, and then, like a faithful lover, continues to grow through constancy. He says there is a sense in which our gifts are not fully ours until they have been given away. We are sojourners with our gifts, not their owners. Even our creations, he says, especially our creations, do not belong to us. In the gift cycle, the gift is given without contract or agreement about return, and yet it does return. A circulation is set set up and can be counted upon. And this was Jamie's point. Jamie believes that by giving away the wisdom of the brothers as a free gift to the world, the gift moves and flows, and in many cases flows back to the brothers and the monastery as people support its mission. And so whereas most people might try to create a value proposition and try to sell you on the monastery in order to get you to give or to place a price tag on the spiritual wisdom of the brothers, Jamie has spent a decade of his life giving away their best wisdom and their best work and to great success. The problem can come, he says, in the church when we confuse the market and the gift. And in some sense, That's what the disciples and Pharisees do, and what I think 
is a hilarious gospel reading from today from Mark chapter 8, in which we have the feeding of the 4,000, which is the second story in Mark of Jesus feeding thousands of people. He fed 5,000 people just a couple chapters earlier. And you're probably familiar with the outlines of the story. There's lots of people, they're in a remote area, and they're hungry, and so Jesus takes a small amount of food, way too small to conceivably feed all these people. In this case, seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. He blesses it and breaks it and distributes it, and everybody gets fed. And there were even leftovers, seven baskets full. But the best part of the story for me comes in the verses that follow, which we rarely hear in church or remember. After feeding the 4,000, Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is confronted by Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they ask him for a sign from heaven to test him. And Jesus, it says in the passage, sighed deeply. (sighs) He had just fed thousands of people, twice, with a tiny bit of food, and still people are demanding a sign. Jesus and the disciples then get back in the boat to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and while they're in the boat, the disciples realize that they forgot to bring bread with them in the boat. They only had one loaf to share among them all. Now, how many baskets of leftovers were left after feeding of the 4,000? Seven. It was a massive feeding event, and there were even leftovers, and the disciples forgot to bring the leftovers to take in the boat for their journey. Seriously, what is up with these guys? And so, as one might, they're feeling quite sheepish about it. And Jesus realizes what they've been talking about. And I want you to hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice as I read from the story. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect then? And they said to him, seven. And then he said to them, do you not yet understand? They had seen Jesus do these two miracles, feed thousands of people twice with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, But they don't think that it can happen again to them on the boat where there's just 13 of them. They forget about the gift. When they looked at that loaf of bread, they could not see possibility or opportunity or a gift or a miracle in the making. All they could see was scarcity. All they could see was not enough. And we can be the same way. We can easily mistake the market for the gift. Despite the stories of faith that we hear each week from Scripture and that we share with one another, we can easily revert back into seeing everything through a market lens where scarcity is used to drive demand. But as Hyde writes, Jesus continually separates the marketplace from the kingdom of God. And I believe this is one of the reasons that we find it so awkward talking about money in the church, especially this time of year and stewardship season. We love our church and its ministries and its people, and we want it to thrive and grow and therefore share God's love and the gospel with an ever-widening circle of people. We all want that. But for many, it feels awkward talking about the money side of that equation and how we accomplish all that together. 
And I think it's because we mistake the market and the gift. We, because it's the world we are so steeped in, apply the ideas of the market to our giving and pledging to the church. And somehow it doesn't feel right or good to place a monetary value on something that we hold in such high regard. It doesn't feel right somehow to put a price on the gift or the gifts that we receive from this place and its people. Through the lens of the market, stewardship seems like we're giving to the church for services rendered, like we are assigning a monetary value on the service that the church provides to us, that we're giving to pay the bills. And it almost feels like it somehow diminishes the gift. Jamie told me back in that interview, most churches get themselves into trouble because in stewardship they're talking about naming a price, and really trading for church. Whereas what you need and what the brothers intuitively do is they help you steward your own life. And later, if we have needs, can you help us? If you understand you truly live in the gift economy and you're truly giving away God's gift for God's love, then it flows back. The thing Jesus shows us in his feeding of the thousands, his healing, his teaching, everything that he did, including his own suffering, death, and resurrection, is that Christianity is a gift economy. Everything about Christianity is a gift. And the gift begins with Jesus himself. Jesus is the OG, the original gift. He gave himself for us to show us God's love, to forgive us and save us. And the whole Christian faith is an adventure in how we respond to that gift in worship and service and loving our neighbors and in prayer for others and practicing our faith for the sake of the world. Everything in Christianity is a gift. And so it is with us. Our faith is a gift. Our lives and our existence are a gift from God. We are given it freely and in great love, and we are filled with gratitude and delight, and we cannot help but pass that gift on to others. And as the gift is shared, it flows back to us. As the gift is shared, it grows. Hyde writes, A gift isn't fully realized until it is given away, and that we come alive when we give away what has been received. And when part of the self is given away, community appears. Our giving, our gifts, our response to that first gift of Jesus himself and all the gifts that have flowed from it since, that we have received from God and God's people. Our giving, our pledging, our stewardship, rather than somehow diminishing what we feel for this place by putting a number on it, in fact, puts this place in the highest possible regard. In our gifts and in the sharing of ourselves, we are saying that this place and these people And this mission we share are, in fact, priceless. This is priceless. And so I hope that you will respond happily and joyfully and gratefully and abundantly in this year's invitation to give and pledge as we anticipate all the amazing things that God is going to do in us for this coming year. And finally, uh, Hyde concludes his book with a story that I thought I'd conclude my sermon with, a story shared by the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda about an experience he had as a young child of exchanging gifts. And Neruda reflects in this way. He says, I've been a lucky man. To feel the intimacy of brothers and sisters is a marvelous thing in life. 
To feel the love of people whom we love is a fire that feeds our lives. But to feel the affection that comes from those whom we do not know, from those unknown to us, who are watching over our sleep and solitude, over our dangers and weaknesses, that is something still greater and more beautiful because it widens the boundaries of our being and unites all living things. The videos that we have seen over these last weeks as part of our Change Lives, Change the World campaign remind us that we live in a gift economy because the gifts we share are time and talents and, yes, our treasure, gift and bless other people. They change people's lives, the very people who are sitting in the pew next to you today. And through them and through you, they change the world. Our stewardship is not a market transaction exchange between you and this church. Our stewardship is about gifts given and shared with each other that happily and freely flow from the love of God. Gifts that change lives and truly do change the world. And uh, to close, we're going to roll a video now to see some of the faces and hear some of the voices of the people that your gift blesses. What I love about UDLC is the fact that it's a place where we can really gather with people who care about the community and care about learning about God and worshiping God and um, really bringing children up in a faithful community. I like our activities for every age. I like our services. I love our choir. There's not much to not like. I like UDLC because they're accepting of us wherever we are in our spiritual journey. They're very open. Uh, I feel welcome here. And there's a lot of things for the kids to do. You're allowed to try things and people will embrace it. And the congregation supports it. And we have awesome pastors. I like to go to Sunday school and meet friends because we learn about God and stuff. It's the people and it's the band. It's just enjoying the music and enjoying the, that worship part. I've met a lot of wonderful people here. I now look forward to coming to church, which I don't think I would have ever said years ago. So it's just a great place, and uh, we're alive. You can see that. It's given us a warmth and a happiness, and, and so when people see that coming from you, they want to know what's going on. Like, why, 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 why are you so happy? Like, what's going on? UDLC has changed my life many times over. It has. It's really positively impacted my life because of all the friends that I've made, like Lucy. We came to UDLC about 20 years ago, and it was right before we had a medical crisis in my family. And having the support of a faith community when you're dealing with life and death situations was invaluable. It changed our lives totally, the support we got, the prayers that were said for us. UDLC has definitely made a positive impact. I've been going here since I was a baby, and it's like just sort of like a second home for me, which is awesome. It taught me how to help out with the community, locally here and throughout uh, the whole United States with different uh, charitable volunteer programs. The groups that they have, like with Chosen 300 and stuff, I feel like that helps other people and that inspires me to help others. It gives us opportunities to go out into the community and really practice what we've learned here about spreading God's love and serving others. It was life-changing for me because I'm doing things that I never imagined I would be able to do. 
but it has been a great experience to be so involved in uh, other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Certainly more than just Ambler. The more love God brings to us, the more love we have to give out to other people. And that's a constant thing where I'm being fed all the time and embraced all the time, and then I'm able to go out and share that love and grace with other people. We spend a lot of time as a family talking about what we're thankful about, and we really feel like a lot of that comes from what we learn about here at church because it reminds us how much God has given us and how much God wants us to give to others. So I think UDLC is a great place and I would encourage as many people to come out and see us and hear about us and get the feeling like you want to be here.